This is the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name's Damien Morgan. Joining me now is Shona Fitzgerald, a water and wastewater treatment process engineer with Sydney Water. Shona, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. I love this topic. You've done a study, What Next for Livability? Learning from the Past and Prioritising for the Future. Nice broad scope. How did you go about tackling this challenge? It is a broad scope and it's something we've been talking about a lot in the water industry over the last few years. Livability certainly has been spoken about more and more and I think it's really important that we define what that means um, generally but also for our industry. And so the way that I went about this was firstly to ask that question of why. Why do we care about livability? And there's a lot of reasons for that um, and thinking in particular about our global mandate at the moment to improve the way that we approach sustainability from an environmental, economic and social point of view. And livability aspects of a city are one way to, to get to that end goal. And so with that, why does it matter? We then have to ask ourselves the question, how do we integrate that into the way that we make infrastructure decisions? So how do we think about our, I'm looking at urban water in particular, so how, to, how do we make our urban water management decisions thinking about sustainability, resilience, but also livability. So we went about that by looking at a case study uh, that Sydney Water has constructed a wetland in the inner west of Sydney. So this is the cup and saucer wetland. That's right. And so we used that as an example. There are other examples across the industry of how that project in particular had contributed not only to the water quality, of that waterway but also to the livability of people in the area and we did that both through looking at anecdotal evidence but there was also a study done looking at a hedonic valuation of the housing prices in the area to try and understand how valuable are these things and if we can do that and we can benchmark where we're at then how do we then prioritise similar projects in the future. Okay, so let's just drill into the the process a little further. So anecdotally, did you run focus groups or how did you gather this information? So the community was quite engaged along the way. Right from the outset when we were thinking about this project, the community was involved through surveys, for example, to understand whether they wanted a wetland there, how did they want us to develop that reserve. And there was a strong response rate and that community engagement continued. There was a a great turnout at the opening and we still have groups uh, such as the Cooks River Alliance who are involved in the project and help us with maintaining the wetland, testing water quality, those sorts of things. So that, that was a key way for us to really understand the impact to the community. And you may well get a Nobel Prize for economics for explaining Sydney house prices, but what, what was the process you went through there to assess the impact? Sure. So that research was actually done by Charles Sturt University. And it was broader than just looking at the cup and saucer wetland. It looked a little more at the waterways in the area, so Cooks River specifically. But for that particular reserve, so we built a constructed wetland and we also did some remediation work on the riverbank of the Cooks River there. And we looked at the increase in vegetation and the improvement in riparian condition and then correlated that to 
how that had increased the value of the houses within a one kilometre radius of that reserve. And that was one way for us to get an indication of how much it's worth, um, assuming that the value of a house is increased if they live in an area where they have access to those sorts of amenities. So you're drawing a straight line between access to clean water and um, to people wanting to pay for that, clearly, to, to live in that environment. That's right. And I think we can all relate to that on a human level, that we do like being in green spaces, we do like being in blue spaces, and we do we do value these assets that we have to both build connection with our community but also to improve our own health and well-being. So what are the learnings then? How do we create these environments? What are the recommendations that you would make based on what you've learnt? I think that the water industry has done a great job of focusing on this more and more over the last few years and there's certainly a big push at at an industry level for how we can provide services which are not just about pipes and pumps but are actually about community and our customers and that's given us a great push to think about how we do these projects more and more and this is not a unique example and we're building up a a base of knowledge and examples where we can draw on this sort of evaluation economic evaluation in particular but not discounting that anecdotal evidence that I spoke about as well And by doing that, we can really see more clearly the motivation. I think where we need to go from here is rather than taking on these projects when the opportunity becomes available, we actually need to take on these projects in a more strategic way. And one idea that I'm suggesting, and others have explored similar ideas, is about how we use frameworks to benchmark where we're at and to then understand what's happened at a city scale, for example, in our urban water management in the past. Where are we at now? What's our vision for the future? And if we can get more and more institutional commitment through demonstrating the value in this way, then we can start to build into our funding, build into our process for approving projects to then do projects where we need to prioritise them to get to the, that end goal that we want, to get to that end vision. So it's not just pumps and pipes, it's, it's bank management, it's pathways, it's vegetation, it's trees, it's a whole gambit, a whole range of things that if we take a more holistic approach can deliver the outcome that you're pointing to. That's right, and it delivers a whole number of outcomes. Um, We can help to reduce urban heat. We can improve spaces for people. I mentioned about people connecting with community. That's really important for people's well-being. There's a lot more that the water industry can do. And then on a practical level, uh, looking more at water waterway health, so improving water quality, um, improving how we manage floods in urban areas, all of those sorts of things. Are there any you know, first steps you'd like to see taken? So the framework that I looked at in this paper is a framework from the Cooperative Research Centre for Water Sensitive Cities. They're based in Melbourne. And they've looked at the different areas in which we need to enact change. So that's things like the urban water managers in this context, 
or what knowledge do we need, what skills do we need. And in looking at this, I think the water industry as a whole is quite good at collaborating and we also have a number of great research examples, a number of industry-led field examples. So that knowledge is not necessarily what's restricting us, but there are two areas which probably stood out to me. One was around having formalised institutions to bring people together so that we can, so that supports that strategic idea that we can continue to work through these challenges but also these opportunities together and the other area is around policy and regulation and how do we have policy and regulation um, across Australia in a way that really drives these sorts of projects to occur that that gives that incentive for us to engage in these sorts of projects. So policy formation is always, you know, part science, part art or part politics. Um, so we won't delve into that. But is there any, uh, you know, what, what science um, can we bring to the table from this study that can help policymakers and help advocates in pushing their case? I think that there has been an increase in thinking about economic analysis in the water industry over the last little while. And I think that's... In some ways, economics is also a bit of a science, a bit of an art, but I think that it does give us numbers and numbers can be really powerful. I don't think we should discount the narrative. I don't think we should discount the stories that we have as well because that's very important in a customer community-focused industry. But I think we're on the right track. I think we keep doing what we're doing and we start to build up that library of knowledge because that's going to be especially important for those smaller organisations, the councils, the smaller utilities who don't necessarily have the funding to, to research these things, to look in great detail. But if we can provide enough of that base level of knowledge, then as an industry, together we can move forward. Well, being on the right track is always a good place to finish. So, Shona, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Shona Fitzgerald from Sydney Water, a water and wastewater treatment process engineer. This is the Australian Water Association podcast series.